Welcome to CA Today from the Instructional Support Team at CA BOCES. Thank you for taking your professional development to the next level by tuning in and joining us. Whether you're a teacher, administrator, or educational professional, we're happy you're listening as we share insights and stories from around the region. If you're interested in what you're listening to, more information on this episode can be found in the show notes. Hello, this is Rick Weinberg with Brooke Neiman, and we are setting up the podcast, and today's episode has to do with Nate and Angie Ridgway. They were here for summer tech camp this past August, and we had a conversation with them uh, via Zoom, and they were taking us through some of their philosophies for summer tech camp, and Nate was explaining his theory of the blockbuster method for technology integration. We hope that you'll enjoy this podcast that we've created based on that interview with them. And we hope that if you didn't have a chance or if you did have a chance to come to Summer Tech Camp last year, that you'll join us this year. We don't have our keynote speakers designated just yet, but save the dates. We will have Summer Tech Camp on August 6th, 7th, and 8th, 2024. And we hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the podcast. Well, first of all, I want to welcome... Angie and Nate Ridgway to the CA Today podcast. And I'd like to start with Angie. Could you both just kind of like introduce yourselves for the purposes of this podcast? Sure. My name is Angie Ridgway and I'm a uh, former professor, just took an early retirement option from University of Indianapolis in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, serving as a director of our secondary and graduate master's programs in education. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm Nate Ridgeway. Uh, so I was a uh, history and special education teacher here in Indiana. I just very recently transitioned out of the classroom um, to doing some consultancy work uh, for um, a private group. But I um, have my background, uh, as I mentioned, in those subject areas, but then also um, as an author and as uh, doing some work around UDL and ed tech. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you both for your introduction. Um, we're going to start with the the book that you co-wrote with Matt Miller, Don't Ditch That Tech. Can one of you or both of you give us a brief summary of that book? How would you describe it? Well, I can start because I kind of got Nate and roped into the idea. <laughs> so um, Nate and I were integrating a lot of instructional technology in our classrooms at both the secondary and higher ed level. And my work um, was in teacher education, teacher development, including being in classrooms with my uh, clinical student teachers. And um I said to Nate, "There's, I think there's this intersection of technology and uh, differentiation that's not being addressed because I was, and he was, of course, starting to see so many possibilities where we could use some of the um, instructional technology platforms and opportunities to really more easily and better differentiate for the students in our classroom. And I said, I think there's a book in there. And Matt Miller and I, go back to um, the days when we were teaching high school Spanish and we would pop in each other's conference presentation throughout central Indiana. And then I started dragging Nate along <laughs> as he became a future teacher and 
So we called Matt and said, hey, Matt, I think there's a book in there and this could be the next ditch book. And that's, I think that's the essence of how the idea was born. I know Nate will want to add to that. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it for, for me, like what I was experiencing, and this is right around like 2017, which is when we like, really like we're sitting down and getting a lot of the, the work for the, like a lot of the, a lot of the actual work for the book done. Um, For me, it was like looking at like, just there was, again, like this is pre-pandemic, right? But there was still this like this deluge of technology that I felt like a lot of educators were dealing with. Like, you know, there were, you know, everybody's getting tossed an iPad and everybody's getting tossed, you know, a MacBook to use in the classroom or a smart board. And it's, it's, it's become at this point so prolific that as I was kind of sitting there feeling overwhelmed by just the number of devices, I was like, man, like somebody's got to come up with a way that like this can be effectively understood like how a teacher should best use this technology with kids and 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 what can be done with it. Um, and that was really what we were trying to set out and do. Um, and I think too, like we were also not just trying to like undergird the book and like really good like theory about like, you know, like what you should do from a pedagogical perspective regarding some of the newest technologies. But then we we're also like trying to come up with some very practical implementable strategies that teachers could really, you know, use the very next day in their room. And that was that was kind of the delicate kind of tightrope we were we were trying to walk with with the book. So if I can tag on that, it it felt like at the time, maybe more so for me because I'm a generation beyond Nate, but it felt like at the time like technological applications are falling from the sky for mm-hmm. you as teacher. Days, grab that, grab that, do this, do this. And you could barely just learn one and another three fall. And Nathan's and my philosophy has always been um, that we teach with intentionality. So in the best teaching, I think, comes inherent in a great beginning design, even if you deviate some from that design, which of course we don't we don't do in some disciplines because, you know, the building would fall down, but mm-hmm. you may deviate. That's kind of the art of teaching, isn't it? Is some deviation from that design, but the science of it is in the book too. Like, how do we know that we need to capture students' attention? How do we know um, ways in which um, we can facilitate content moving to the long-term memory and the important idea of transfer occurring for students. So Nathan and I wanted to make sure we weren't just another spaghetti noodles thrown on the wall approach, but but rather a book that grounds our ideas also in the science of teaching. And I think your point kind of lends to the idea that um, technology is not going to take the job of teachers because teachers are the ones who are curating the activities for the classroom So do either of you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a debate that has gotten much more relevant regarding like the introduction of AI into classrooms. Um, And this is why I think anybody who simply says like an AI could replace the job of a teacher in the classroom is simply just doesn't know what they're talking about, Uh, which is because like that is where truly the, the science of what we know about what works best with learning meet, matches up with the art and the reality of dealing with kids in the classroom uh, and thinking about like, okay, I know my particular group of students really, really well, or I can tailor this to, you know, something that's relevant to them. Right. And you're taking, you know, whatever you have and you're kind of curating it into, 
into something that's meaningful and is an, is an effective engagement and learning tool. So I, I, I'm a very large proponent uh, of the fact that uh, you simply just can't tech your way out of a problem. Um, a lot, a lot of it is, uh, a lot of it is going to be done with the vast impact that a teacher has on the room. Either content areas or parts of content areas that they want to explore or they express emotion or vulnerabilities that then you can tie that in to their learning in special ways, but nothing happens without the great relate personal rela and human relationships that exist in a real life classroom. It's just that technology opens up access in a way that we didn't have before. So are you implying that chat GPT will not be able to replace the teacher tomorrow? Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> I think that's a very safe and, uh, assumption. I, I also think that if there was an AI that's capable of doing what a teacher is capable of doing, that we all, like we need to be much more worried on a very large and more systemic level. Uh, because that that suggests a level of general intelligence, which we are not yet at with AI. And that's that's way beyond us right now. But how could different tools be used to teach? As I have always told my students, one of the most important and perhaps the most important thing you do in teaching beyond the relationship is teaching students to think. Well, because... Students today, we can't teach them all the content. We don't even have all the content that they'll experience in their lifetime. We don't have the discoveries or the careers of which they will be a part. But what we can do is to teach them to think critically in situations that impact both their personal and professional lives. And chat GPT is another example of that. But then it also goes into the whole conversation about changing the way in which we assess student learning too. I'll let you, you go first on this one, mom, before I give my answer. <laughs> I think the one thing that's, that's changed for me, most likely because we had a pandemic you know, the year after it came out, um, and because I also work with peer colleagues in the professoriate, is that it's here. Instructional technology is here. It's ubiquitous. Um, you need your ticket to get your seat on the train because it's done left the station. So if if um, I think if teachers think that fighting it is going to come to some positive end, that's not going to happen because our students have information and skills and philosophies and influencers at their fingertips, whether they're physically inside of a school or educational setting or not. So it's here, we need to embrace it. We need to use it to open up access in reasonable and absolutely appropriate ways for youth to empower them to be better learners, better thinkers and great members of society. I think too, for me, like I, coming out of Don't Ditch That Tech, I. I wanted to push the envelope of looking at how we teach and learn even further, which was kind of like the genesis of my my own book then, um, following that one. Um, but I think like my my biggest criticism of mostly the ed tech sector writ large is is I I am you know I am 
totally fine with, you know, looking at how ed tech can be utilized in a meaningful way in the classroom. But also like if your kids aren't getting access to proper nutrition or air conditioning during the day, uh, maybe that should be looked at first before how you can use chat GPT in the classroom. I, I am largely right now very concerned, at least from a lot of the thought leadership that is out there, that our priorities are a little out of whack regarding some of the stuff that a lot of people are focusing on. So that's that's one personal thing that I am trying to advocate for that that districts and schools and, and folks look at, you know, as they are continuing to think about steps they can take forward. No, it's just a great point. I mean... It's kind of Maslow's hierarchy revisited, isn't it now? Mm-hmm. If the child is hungry, cold, hot. They don't care about how you're using chat GBT. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple. Nate, what I really hear you saying is obviously there are other needs that could come first before incorporating technology into the classroom. Yeah. But, I, but that also echoes back to the original point that you both made that just throwing technology into a classroom is not going to fix things. It's not going to create meaningful learning experiences. You have to meet the the students where they're at and you have to give them what they need before just saying, here's chat GPT, we're going to fix the world. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, or if you're an admin out there listening to this, like you have to make sure your teachers are properly compensated. Um, you know, like that, that needs to be your concern first before how you're utilizing chat GPT. I mean, if it's, it's great that if you have this cool new tool, but if you don't have any staff members who actually are, are qualified and, um, are able to, you know, stay in a position consistently for a long period of time, um, I would argue that that's a bigger concern that you need to worry about. So. I don't know if you know this, but I have this very popular hashtag that that is carrying over curriculum. Uh, I I really believe that. Like you ha- you have to care before you can start teaching. So, um, I think that's interesting. Can you give a brief summary of your of your book about the blockbuster method? Yeah. So breaking the blockbuster model came out uh, middle of the pandemic, like twenty twenty one think we were chilling with Omicron by that point. I, I was just at a point in my teaching where I felt like I was ready to have a more systemic analysis of the kind of instruction that I was not only doing in my own classroom, but then I saw, you know, um, other instruction happening when I worked with teachers across the states and, and things of that nature. The summary of that is just a very quick 30 second synopsis is, is I kind of broke the book up into uh, into thirds. So breaking uh, the blockbuster model, the first part is the movie theater model, which takes a look at specifically direct instruction and what we can do to improve it or kind of move beyond it. Uh, the next one is the blockbuster model, which looks at some of those kind of underlying classroom practices that we've always kind of assumed will be there, like our, you know, blockbuster stores in the, in the early 2000s. From there, then I kind of take a look at what I think is coming next, which is, uh, I, I call it the streaming model, but which is a look at how we can make um, instruction more accessible and more engaging and student tailored uh, coming forward kind of in, in the years to come. So that's kind of your your quick one minute one minute highlight there. 
Thank, Thank you, me. Nate. Of those models, do you have a favorite or is there one that you see yourself leaning towards? Um, I, I mean, I think I definitely lean towards the latter just because like I, I, I really had started to cut my teeth into it really deeply around like uh, 2015, 2016, because somebody had approached me and I talk about this in the book about flipping a classroom. And I kind of looked at that idea and I was like, well, okay, cool. So you do direct instruction at home and then you do all the, you know, engaging stuff, which I have a problem with anyways, calling it that. You do all the engaging uh, dynamic stuff only in the classroom. And, and then you kind of run your, you know, you kind of run stuff that way. Um, and I just kind of had a, a generally kind of fundamental problem with that because I was like, well, why not just do it all? Uh, you know, why not just try to flip everything? And if you can get to the point where students can have a more accessible version of your classroom at home, why not do that in conjunction with the teaching that you're already doing in with the room? Um, and so the streaming model for me was one that I felt like, you know, because I had close to six or seven years to really perfect it and fine tune it, that I had gotten uh very, very down. I mean, I still was improving and making, you know, modifications to that all the time um, because, you know, I would learn and I would try and I would tinker with things, but that was kind of the one that I you know, felt more affinity to. I think it's great to have, have ideas, test them out in the classroom and then turn them into a book. I think that that's really the great, a great way to go. Um, I think so many times people have ideas and don't put them into practice first before telling the world about them. So in conjunction yeah, with telling the world about things, what kind of books are you both reading right now? Um, so I actually just read uh, this one, which I have here on my desk, which is called Think Wrong. I borrowed it from my mom, actually, because it was just sitting there and it looked interesting. Um, but I do a lot of work currently uh, with clients on... I'm going to call it design thinking, uh, which is a very common term out there, but not not just like design thinking, but like iterative brainstorming and out of the out of the norm, kind of out of the box kind of approaches to how we can solve persistent problems. Uh, and this is one that I'm reading that I've really enjoyed right now. It's a very quick read. Um, some of some of some of the pages are literally one word and it just goes across the entire page. Um, it, it's a very quick read. Uh, yeah, so it's called Think Wrong. Um, it's by a group who, you know, if, if you just look up the Think Wrong book, they've got tons of stuff out there, but they really do some good interrogative design about um, or integrative work about like how we think about counterintuitive thinking uh, and what that can lead us to in terms of coming up with innovative uh, solutions for problems that are out there. So that's one that I'm I'm reading right now that I enjoy. Thank you, Angie. And I've been um, listening to a lot of podcasts by Brene Brown on leadership, and most especially thinking about um, within organizations how you care for the individuals in your organization. Try to promote belonging, longevity, um, future leaders. I think that's an issue we're struggling with in all of the people serving, many of the people serving vocations and occupations in our society is um, making sure that our climate stays positive so that indeed um, educators, social workers, and all of those of us who work with the um, public and with children 
with vulnerable populations want to stay in that kind of service. I think that's such an important topic right now. Uh, unfortunately, we see so many educators leaving the field, both teachers, uh, teacher assistants, administrators. And I think that is something that we need to prioritize. How how do we keep educators educating and doing what they do best? So I think that's a really, that raises a really great question. And I think that's something that Nate echoed earlier too. You need to make sure that you're taking care of your teachers so that they're fulfilled and that they can do the best job for their students. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if you could choose one person who has been inspirational to you throughout your career. It could be um, it could be somebody that you know personally, it could be a philosopher, it could be somebody that you've read. Who would be one person who has been inspirational to, to each of you throughout your career? That's a really um, difficult question. That is difficult. <laughs> um, for me, it's been a lot of different folks. I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like the amount of people that have influenced me have really taken like one of those like it's like that mantra like you know the sum of the parts is greater than the whole kind of thing um I mean obviously like my mom you know here she was a really big influence on you know my kind of my my upbringing as an educator but then like I have I've had the opportunity to work with some really talented individuals who have pushed my boundaries of understanding I mean I had a few professors in college that were really instrumental in that respect there, I, I think like one big thing that I can say to folks with that is like there there's a one of the biggest strengths or one of the biggest assets you can give yourself is like surrounding yourself with people who think very differently or push you to think very differently than than your current uh, understandings and, and ways of thinking. Um, and that's definitely been true for me. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with some very talented individuals who kind of pushed the boundaries of what I knew and and, and could do so. Yeah, I'm with Nate. There's just such a plethora. Um, he and I are, I, I hate, I think he would consider himself blessed, but we're legacy educators. So actually my dad taught in the same content area as Nate. And so at age three, I started um, going to school events. Um, and it's just always been part of our, really our uh, dinner table conversation, hasn't it, Nate? Yes. <laughs> my dad and Nate and I had a big conversation the other evening about um, literacy and policies and things. So it's just, and, you know, fortunately, there's other people who in our family who work in schools and things. And then some people just after a while get up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's always been a big influence on me because I can process those things with him. One of my former colleagues and dear friend, um, Terrence Harewood is an amazing educator who really um, expanded my views on diversity, equity, and inclusion. He just helps you to process and understand the way in which we view um, or we experience the world in a way that's just amazingly educative, compassionate, and easily understandable. And he um, introduced me to the Intercultural Development Inventory, and I, be I became a trainer of that. So I want to give um, huge kudos to Terrence Harewood because he is an amazing teacher. Um, and I would also like to say that I have a local mentor who was Indiana Superintendent of the Year, and she's just a great person to process with, too. 
And I had the dean who originally hired me at UND um, was a visionary. And I think it's like Nathan said, it's always important to be around people who think in ways that are different from your own or who challenge your thinking. And um, all of those individuals that I've mentioned do do that for me, including my own son. <laughs> Thank great. you both I for that- sharing. I wasn't sure if this question was going to be like uh, a challenge for Nate since his mom was also on the uh, call with him. So um, I have, I have one last question. If you could choose only one tech resource to recommend to teachers, what would it be and why? Another impossible question. Yeah, that is impossible. Um, I'm actually going to somewhat twist that and say that I actually wouldn't recommend a resource. I would recommend a way of thinking about it because, and and I say this with, you know, all the love that I put into Twitter for the last five years, and that is a tool can rapidly change and not be what you want it to be anymore. And so I think it's much more, even, even more important than like a single tool is like the way that you understand the impact that it has on your kids and how you teach. That That for me is like, the biggest thing that if I could, if I can get somebody to critically, really critically dive into just how they approach technology in the classroom, that for me is like almost as, if not more valuable than a single tool that they can use. I mean, I've got my own kind of like toolkit of favorites that I like, you know, everything from Canva to Pear Deck to Flip. I will, it used to be called Flipgrid, now it's just Flip. Um, I mean, but it's really hard for me just to pick one. Like, I, I don't have a killer app that I can be like this every time. I'll oh. tag, I'll um, piggyback on that if I could. Um, we opened our secondary programs once students were candidates with um, Universal Design for Learning. And, and that's at cast.org for your listeners. But if you embrace the tenets of UDL to your greatest capacity, it is like having a philosophy about accessibility and student learning and the way in which you design mm-hmm. not only your classes, but your daily instruction so that all students have more um, opportunities to learn. So I would I would say, you know, UDL, Universal Design for Learning, can be used that context and that approach with, with any tool not any tool, but with many tools to think about ways in which we ensure that um, we're meeting learners where they are. Sorry, Great. I had to Thank unmute. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm i sorry. So I, I, I really loved your responses. I think, uh, what you have to say is great. Uh, I want to really thank you from uh, myself and Brooke that we really appreciate you doing this podcast and, uh, thank you so very much. Is there, I just want to give one last opportunity. Is there anything else that either of you would like the listeners to know? Or is there anything else that you'd like to add that maybe you didn't have a chance to say through our questions? I mean, we'd, we'd always love to connect with educators. So if they want to reach out to us, um, I think we have our links to Instagram and threads on there. Um, but our emails, it's just Angie at teachingfromtheridge.com and mine's Nate at teachingfromtheridge.com. Um, and, you know, we, we always love to, to connect with educators out there. I think that's probably the thing that we would both want to, you know, say. 
All right. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. We know that that is valuable and I'm sure you don't have a ton of that, so we won't keep you any longer, but thank you so much for your time today. Um, we love the message that you shared and thank you for helping us with our CA today. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to CA today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to access the show notes and links for additional resources. If you have any comments, feedbacks, or suggestions for future episodes, please access the feedback form in the show notes as well. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to CA Today, and we hope to see you soon.